All right, Nick. So it's July again, which is a very exciting time because we know that this means that there are new incoming residents to uh, OBGYN. Absolutely. Brand new faces. Welcome to labor and delivery. Welcome to the oncology floor. Welcome to the clinic, wherever you are. We hope that you're getting welcomed into OBGYN. And we want to make sure that you know about a great resource in OBG First and the OBG Core. So the OBG core, as many of your senior residents will tell you, is absolutely free to all residents. So we wanted to make sure that you know about that. And then also, again, you also will get access for free if you are a resident to OBG first, as well as the labor and delivery book from the OBG project. There are tons and tons of great resources through the OBG project. You can find them on their website at obgproject.com. But if you're interested in getting signed up for this premium product of theirs for absolutely free for all four years of residency, head over to our website, creagsrivercoffee.com, check out the sidebar, and get signed up today. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Faye. This is Nick. And this is... Creox over coffee. All right, guys. So today we're back with a topic that is sure to show up on the Creogs. At least I feel like every year that I took the Creogs, there was one or two questions about this. But today we're going to talk about medical ethics. So Nick, what are our learning objectives for today? Yes, fond memories of Creogs and these particular types of questions. Um, But We'll kind of get into those things that seem to come up all the time. You know, we'll first define and explain what are the four main ethical principles of medicine. We'll review three other principles that kind of arise out of these four main principles. And then finally, we'll discuss certain conflicts that may arise between different principles and provide some idea of how to resolve those. It may be a silly question, Faye, but I also think it's one that we don't spend a lot of time thinking about or chewing on, right? Um, What exactly is medical ethics and why do we need them? Yeah. So, you know, ethics is is this very broad term that we don't really have time to get all the way into today um, because there are people that spend their lives studying it. And certainly we are not a philosophical podcast um, to expound on the meanings of ethics. But essentially, ethics covers the study of the nature of morals and specific moral choices um, that need to be made. Um, And it can attempt to answer the question, which general moral norms um, can we use for the guidance and evaluation of conducts? Um, Should we accept and why? Um, So, for example, uh, you know, if we look at some uh, definitions of ethics previously – We have some things like common morality, which is some moral norms um, that lead to correct conduct, um, which are common to everyone, uh, despite differences in culture and religion, etc. But there's also particular morality, which is where there are some norms that really only exist within a certain group. And so bioethics and clinical ethics are two examples of what this particular morality is that basically governs physicians um, and potentially other medical professionals in their professional standards. And then to answer the reason as to why we need ethics and specifically medical ethics, the best example is really 
to look at history and when medical ethics were ignored. And there have been multiple times in history when there have been medical abuse of human subjects in both research and medical interventions that were done without informed consent. And, you know, some of these examples that, you know, I can bring up that I think a lot of people already know about are things like the Tuskegee syphilis study, um, Henrietta Lacks and the use of the HeLa cells without um, her express permission, and then, of course, the atrocities that had occurred during World War II. So to avoid repeating history, we really should follow the principles of medical ethics that we're going to talk about on this podcast. Um, and then, of course, you know, the reason that we need them is that there's always that one to do questions on CREOGs and your written boards potentially about medical ethics. So now's a good time to review them. So there are these four fundamental principles of medical ethics, Nick. So let's walk through some of them. Yeah. So let's start with beneficence. Um, beneficence is a very no, that's a $5 word, as uh, so I like to say, I guess. Um, but it is the obligation of the physician to act in the benefit of the patient and help protect and defend the rights of others, prevent harm, and remove conditions that will cause harm. It'll help persons with disabilities and rescue persons in danger. This is going to be distinct from the next principle we talk about of non-maleficence, another $5 word. But that Beneficence has positive requirements. So this principle really encompasses the idea of doing something to promote benefit towards others. And that's the real takeaway here. Again, you're doing something to promote benefit to others. So some examples of things that might ring true with the idea of beneficence are providing vaccinations or speaking at an event to discuss sexually transmitted infection prevention or discussing a patient's um, smoking status and encouraging them to cease smoking. Non-maleficence, on the other hand, is the obligation of a physician to not harm the patient. So there's some obvious examples here, right? Do not kill, do not cause pain and suffering, do not incapacitate, etc. right? Practical application of non-maleficence, though, is a little bit more difficult because this is when you have to use your brain. This is kind of weighing those benefits against the risks or burdens of all possible interventions and treatments or non-treatments. Now, this really comes into play in things like end-of-life care decisions and pain or symptom control. And so thinking about non-maleficence and how you do not do harm um, can be a really challenging scenario to apply. What about the other two principles, Faye? Yeah, so the next one up is autonomy. And so this is where um, the principle suggests that patients have the power to make rational decisions and moral choices for themselves, and each person should be allowed to exercise their capacity for self-determination. And like other principles, autonomy does need to be weighed against the other competing moral principles because sometimes autonomy needs to be overridden in the cases where patients are not deemed to have decision-making capacity. Um, and just as a reminder here, capacity refers to a person's ability to use information they're given and then make a choice that is congruent with their own choices and preferences. Um, and this is different from competency, which is the legal judgment that is informed by the assessment of capacity. Um, for a more in-depth discussion, we do encourage that you go see our previous episode on informed consent, where we talk about how to assess capacity, and we'll put a link in um, our show notes and on, also onto our websites. Um, the other thing that we need to kind of talk about with autonomy is that at times it can be in conflict with certain social norms depending on the culture or the religion, etc. So for example, in some cultures, full disclosure of medical status 
end of life status, um, et cetera, is actually frowned upon to the, for the patient. And some cultures may actually prefer a more family-centered approach where these statuses are actually hidden from the patient and actually told to the family members instead. But as the definition currently stands, respecting the principle of autonomy obliges the physician to disclose medical information and treatment options that are necessary for the patient to exercise self-determination. The last principle is that of justice, and this is defined as the fair, equitable, and appropriate treatment of persons. Um, the thing that is important to take away, especially in the United States for this principle, is something called distributive justice, um, where there is fair, equitable, and appropriate distribution of healthcare resources. Um, but there are different principles of distributive justice, and these can be based on things like equal share? Uh, can it be according to need, uh, according to effort, according to contribution, according to merit, and according to free market exchanges? And each principle is not really exclusive, and these principles are often combined in application. Uh, but this does, of course, increase the difficulty in choosing, balancing, and refining these principles. And some examples of justice or distributive justice in this case can be things like having rules for allotment of certain scarce resources. So like, who do we give MRIs to? for example, or who are we able to give transplants to, and why are these rules in place? And then other things are things like allotment time for outpatient visits. So, you know, are we only able to give 20 minutes? Because if you're giving one patient a very, very long time for their outpatient visit, then potentially you're taking away that time from another patient. All right, so those are the four principles um, uh, of medical ethics, the fundamental principles, but we also said that there were three other principles that are derived from the original four, Nick. Yeah, so those three principles really briefly are um, one that we've covered before on the show, as you mentioned, Faye, which is of informed consent. So no, just briefly, again, we have a whole episode on informed consent in and of itself, but in order to obtain informed consent, you need to have one, a patient who's able to give consent or has capacity to do so, two, the presentation of accurate information to the patient that includes a diagnosis, if known, the nature and purpose of recommended interventions, and then risks, benefits, and alternatives to all of the options, and then finally, documentation of the conversation and the ultimate decision. Again, not going to spend more time on it than that. We got a whole episode dedicated to it. The other two principles that get derived here are that of truth-telling and confidentiality. Truth-telling is a vital component, of course, to the physician-patient relationship. Full disclosure of a disease process is a cultural norm in the United States. So we do not withhold information. We truth-tell. We give patients all of that information. However, this may be variable in other cultures or other countries. And so depending on if you practice with a diverse group of patients um, who may have different cultural norms, this may vary to some degree. Confidentiality is that other one. Physicians are obligated not to disclose confidential information given by a patient to another party without the patient's authorization. Um, certainly there are some exemptions to this. So the primary exemption would be that for disclosing medically necessary information for the care of the patient to other health teams. Um, so again, sort of advancing the care of that patient. Um, but this is also kind of a, a sacred principle to the physician-patient relationship, that of confidentiality. 
so I think, Faye, now that we've talked about a lot of the principles, the original four and then sort of the three derivations, I feel like sometimes um, in daily practice or, again, with those exam questions, a lot of times they're asking us to sort out in some degree conflicts between these principles, right? Like when you know, beneficence and non-maleficence seem to collide to some degree, or the autonomy questions that you spoke about earlier. Um, can you give us some more examples that might be kind of common that we might encounter? Yeah, so the two examples that I have here are paternalism versus consumerism. So paternalism is when beneficence and autonomy kind of collide. So, um, you know, we as physicians, I think we have this tendency to want what is best for our patients. And sometimes this can conflict with patient autonomy, where the physician may be trying to do what he or she thinks is best for the patient, but then the patient potentially um, has the right to refuse treatment because of their autonomy. And so paternalism really happens when the physician starts to take away patient autonomy by things like non-disclosure, uh, manipulation, deception, or even coercion. So that's one extreme example of when beneficence and autonomy can collide. Consumerism is kind of on the way opposite end of paternalism, where there is this extreme form of patient autonomy, where the physician's role just becomes limited to providing all of the medical information and available choices and kind of letting the patient select. Um, and the way that I kind of describe this is like giving the patient a menu of choices. So, you know, do you want to start Pitocin? Do you want to start with a Foley? Do you want to start with a Cyto and a Foley, et cetera? What this does is it doesn't really permit the physician full use of his or her knowledge and skills for beneficence because you're not really recommending something to the patient that you think would be the best course of action for the patient at that time. There are, of course, many more examples of conflicts between these principles, um, and that's why there are certain ones, um, you know, when it's difficult to answer that we have ethic boards in hospitals um, to help resolve some of these medical ethic questions. All right, Nick, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Um, so why don't we go ahead and summarize? Sure. So we first started talking about what exactly are medical ethics and why we need them. Again, it's a pretty broad term. There are people who spend their lives studying ethics, but it covers the study of the nature of morals and specific moral choices to be made. Um, we talked a bit about sort of there are some moral norms for correct conducts that are common to everyone despite differences in culture, religion, etc., and that's known as common morality, and some norms that only exist within a certain group aka particular morality. Again, bioethics and clinical ethics are kind of two examples of particular morality governing physician professional standards. We really need them because history shows us what happens when we don't look at medical ethics. There have been a lot of times where abuses are predicated basically without informed consent or by violating some of these principles. So knowing these principles can help you judge your own conduct as well as the conduct of history and those around you potentially to help do best by your patients.
In terms of the fundamental principles of medical ethics, the first is beneficence, which is the obligation of the physician to act for the benefit of the patient and protect and defend the right of others. This is different from non-maleficence because beneficence has positive requirements, meaning you actively should be doing something to benefit your patient. Non-maleficence, on the other hand, is the obligation of a physician to not harm the patient, like no killing, no causing pain and suffering, no incapacitating, for example. But of course, practical application can be more difficult when you have to judge the risk risks and burdens and versus benefits of certain treatments. The other two fundamental principles are that of autonomy and justice. Again, autonomy is the notion that patients have the power to make rational decisions and moral choices for themselves, and they should be allowed to exercise capacity for self-determination. Autonomy does need to be weighed against other competing moral principles, um, and it may need to be overridden in some cases, particularly when patients do not have decision-making capacity. Remember, we've talked about capacity and competency on our prior episode about informed consent. Check that out. We'll have a link on the website. Justice is the fair, equitable, and appropriate treatment of persons, and particularly in our context, the principle really is that of distributive justice, where there's fair, equitable, and appropriate distribution of healthcare resources. There are different principles of distributive justice that may kind of have different weights or different applications, um, but kind of some examples here can be rules for allotment of scarce resources or the allotment of particular time for outpatient visits. There are three other principles that are derived from these original four uh, principles, and those include things like informed consent, truth-telling, and confidentiality. Informed consent, we won't really go into as much because we have a whole episode dedicated to it, but it's essentially where patient is able to give consent. They must be given accurate information regarding the diagnosis and nature and purpose of the recommended interventions, as well as the risk benefits and alternatives, and then, of course, the ultimate decision. Truth-telling states that there needs to be full disclosure of a disease process, for example, between the physician and the patient, and this is the norm in the U.S., so this can be different in other cultures and countries. Confidentiality states that the physicians are obligated to not disclose confidential information given by a patient to another party without the patient's authorization. Finally, we talked about some examples of conflicts between principles, and kind of one end of the spectrum that we talked about was paternalism, where beneficence and autonomy collide, where the physician may be trying to do what they think is best for the patient, but patient autonomy suggests that they have the right to refuse that treatment potentially. And paternalism happens when a physician takes away that autonomy um, through various means. On the other side of this is consumerism, which is a very extreme form of autonomy where a physician role really becomes limited to, as Faye mentioned, providing just a menu of choices devoid of context. This isn't using the special talent, really, of a physician, using their knowledge and skill to promote beneficence and so minimizes that aspect. There are many, many more examples of conflicts that we won't get into today, um, and there are some that are pretty unique, and that's why there are ethics boards in hospitals, because some of these questions and conflicts don't get easily resolved, but can be worth checking out your own hospital's medical ethics consult team or board. All right, Faye, I think that does it for today. So once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Kriags Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and go into your favorite podcatcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us online on Twitter at Kriags Over Coffee 1, on Instagram and Facebook at Kriags Over Coffee. Or if you love the show and want to support us, head over to patreon.com slash Kriags Over Coffee. Send us some love and we'll send you some swag. 
You can find show notes for this show and all of our other episodes, as well as the Rosh Review Question of the Week on our website, www.careeogsrivercoffee.com. Finally, if you have a question for us, a correction to this or any of our prior episodes, or just want to say hello, email us, careeogsrivercoffee at gmail.com. 